are uh, in the second week of a series called Ducks in a Row, okay? And it's, I'll just give you the big picture. It's primarily around the, the phraseology, this idiom we use, you know, about kind of being organized, being prepared. We, we want to talk about it from the standpoint of wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be awesome if every area of your life and my life uh, were actually aligned, were actually moving in the same direction, were actually, you know, something that felt like it was all, you know, kind of moving in traction uh, together. And, and, and instead of, I think what some people experience is that there's parts of their life that feel like that's kind of at opposing ends of a spectrum or, or they feel tension because things are kind of pulling apart. Family versus work versus money versus stress versus anxiety versus health uh, and all the things we experience. What would it be great if we could have our ducks in a row, right? Especially for 2021. You know, 2021, 2020 was no one's year. Let's all admit that. It was nobody's year, right? Except for maybe the people who make uh, Santa, Santa, hand sanitizer, right? Or toilet paper. It's no one's year. 2021 can be your year, and it can be one of those where you take some incredible steps, all right? Here's our, our big, uh, here's our phrasing uh, for what we're calling ducks in a row in terms of teaching through it in this series, and I'll give you our theme verse. Ducks in a row, I want you to be thinking of these three words, prepared, intentional stewardship. Let's read it out loud together like we're all in the same room. If you're online, you can type it in. You ready? Prepared, intentional stewardship. One more time. Say it with me. Prepared, intentional stewardship. All right. Here's our theme verse for this series. This is from Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. I want you to be careful how you live. Intentional, Right? Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand. And a big part of stewardship is understanding. A big part of stewardship is just rephrasing how we understand and see things. Prepared is this idea of being organized and making pre-decisions about things. Intentional means you know your why. You know the reason behind some of the things that you, that you do. And stewardship is that big, big picture. And a matter of fact, here's the, uh, just give you a quick recap from last week. Here's the, the definition we gave you for stewardship. You know, not just in terms of money, but stewardship is in general of your life. It's personal responsibility over what resources have been entrusted to me, personal responsibility, meaning that we have personal accountability to God over what resources he's given to me and given to you. That's what this means, right? That's what a stewardship really is. And so for all of us, there's a lot that we can learn from remembering who we are in the grand scheme of things. I love this. Uh, this is just a great verse I wanted to pull out in this series. Uh, this is a, a kind of an ending, a doxology, not of the, of the chapter or book, but of the just a, uh, Paul was writing the church in Rome and he gives them this, you know, awesomeness of theological discourse between chapters 9 through 11. And at the end of 11, he takes a pause before he shifts gears in terms of, in terms of writing. And he gives this beautiful, beautiful picture. Okay, this is in Romans 11, uh, 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has ever been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? 
For from him and through him and for him are, what's that word? What's those two words? Yeah. Not some things. All things. And to him be the glory forever and ever. Leave that up. Those three phrases are wonderful phrases to just help you remember stewardship. It's from him, and it's through him, and it's for him. Okay? So when you think about everything in your life, your discipleship, your stewardship, the the life you live, who's it come from? It's from him. (laughs) Who's it sustained by? Well, it's through him. And what purpose do you have? It's for him. Right? Just say those with me. You ready? From him, through him, for him. It's a great way to remember stewardship, to remember where we kind of line up in the pecking order of God's big story is we get to be a part, we get to to have engagement, we get to participate. That's what we talked about last week. But we have to know the big picture of stewardship across the board is that from him are all things, through him are all things, and for him are all things. This is a great quote from C.S. Lewis, kind of rephrasing our lives. Every faculty you have, the power of thinking, or moving your limbs from moment to moment, is given to you by God. So if you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. You with me? You're not really giving anything back to God. I love that part where Paul's like, you know, who's been God's counselor? I think we've all tried to be, right? Let's be honest. We've been in prayer, given God's suggestions, Okay, it's okay. Let's be honest, right? There are times where we have done some things that we feel like just for a moment, even if the Spirit corrects us, for a moment we sort of feel like God owes us. Okay? That's true. Okay? Let's just all be, you're going to be less honest about that one, but I know it's true. Okay? That we try to understand and trace out his paths, but they're beyond tracing out. This is where Paul just helps you understand. Yeah, it's so much bigger than you, so much bigger than we, our finite minds can understand. Which is why we get to engage in this, because from him and through him and, all, and for him are all things. That's stewardship. Now, we talked, again, big picture last week. You can go back and listen to that. Today, we're going to kind of dive into that first word, prepared. In terms of how do we take that big, big picture and begin to make some decisions, okay? This is how I'm defining prepared, okay? No English teachers are allowed to, you know, correct me, okay? To pre-decide, to determine in advance, to pre-plan, okay? From the way in which we're going to talk about this, there's, there's, a, there's a way in which we are called to be prepared, in order to be good stewards, we have to be prepared. We have to pre-decide some things, okay? Pre-decide. Make some plans. Before things happen, we have to know what we're going to do. That's what this is all about, right? Before the, the stuff hits the fan, before there's a crisis, before there's an emergency, uh, before you get to the crossroads, you know what you're doing. You know where you're going. You're making decisions, and you are preparing, And this is extraordinarily important in every area of our life, but primarily in the area we're going to talk about today, which is how do we be prepared intentional stewards and have that stewardship in our finances, in our finances. And if you're thinking, oh, Matt, you said last week it wasn't a a money message. That's right. That was last week. (laughs) It wasn't. 
a money message. This week is. But I'll go ahead and promise you, and this is just my promise to most people, is just, you don't, if you've never been around me and you've never been around our church, you don't really know how we talk about money, so I don't want you to get too tense. But I can't make you do anything. Okay, so I want you to know that. I can't make you do anything. All I want to do today is try to change some perspective, kind of change the way you think and the way you view something you have viewed your whole life and how it might contrast with the world around us. Okay, that's all I'm planning on doing today. As a matter of fact, we're not going to even, there's no collection afterwards, you know, there's no, I mean, we mentioned the boxes, but we're not going to put the boxes out in front of you before you leave, okay? We're actually going to do something very different, something we haven't done in several years. But here's where, here's why this is important, okay? God knew that this was going to be important. Here's some statistics I'll give you. Money is mentioned more times than heaven or hell in the Gospels, and yet for some reason, that's what we think is going to be the most important thing, and the most important thing that churches talk about. And yes, that's not the case in terms of the four accounts of Jesus Christ. Money is talked about more. 40% of the parables, the stories in the Gospels are all about money or using money as the example. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, has more of those than the other three Gospels combined. And in the Bible as a whole, just to help you again get a big picture, in terms of verses about prayer, directly about prayer and faith, there's about 500. But verses about money, there's over 2,000. Okay? So this is one of those things that God does have something to say about it. And he knew that we would struggle. He knew it would be an issue. Why is it an issue? I'll tell you why. Because money is all about emotion. Right? Money is all about emotion. Think, I mean, it blows my mind that the most, the most you know, objective, mathematically driven thing in our lives in terms, of, in terms of construct about money is one of the most emotional things that drive us to make subjective decisions throughout our whole lives, is emotion. Emotion is tied to it. Why do I know that? Because when I mentioned money, you started to squirm a little bit. Okay, I get it. Nobody wants to hear anybody talk about money. You don't want to even hear your spouse talk about money. Most marriages fight over money over anything else. And, you know, relationships end because of, because of disagreements and how we view and feel about money. Careers, you know, careers end. You know, jobs end. People's lives get derailed in their pursuit or their worry and concern. Or money because it's emotionally tied. Here's just three areas. Now, here's three areas I want us all to agree on. Okay, this is going to be real easy, but I want us to get on the same page. Emotional money management doesn't work because our satisfaction changes, our security changes, and our success changes. This is the way in which we view things. Our satisfaction changes. You want to know why I know this? Because the same, you know, car that you've been driving for 20 years, if you've driven one for that long, doesn't feel the same as it did 20 years ago, right? The clothes you wear, the place you live, like, like our satisfaction, the thing that we enjoy about either our stuff or our resources or what money can buy us, doesn't last very long. And our satisfaction changes, you know? Can't have eight-foot ceilings in your house anymore. Got to have 10-foot ceilings in your house, Right? Then you go, you know, you go to some gorgeous, you know, lake house and visit somebody. They got 15-foot ceilings. You come back to your house, and you're like, good Lord, I'm going to be buried in this place. 
Look how small our ceilings are. Satisfaction changes. Just pick your vice. It, it, it does. Security changes, meaning that whatever it is that you feel like is enough, whatever it is that you feel like kind of gets you to take a breath, like, oh, we finally have enough in the account. We finally have enough savings. We finally have enough this. That changes, right? Think about when you were younger, right? You think, about the, think about the car that you drove across the country that was duct taped together. Right? Yeah, Donnie, am I right? And yet, you, you may be a little bit older, and now you're a little bit worried when it gets 100,000 miles. Right? You don't feel very safe in it anymore. Your kid's going to drive. You're like, you, can, you will never draw, drive what I drove. Right? Why? Because security, the thing that makes us feel secure, whatever money's purchasing, whatever the promises, it will change. Success changes. You know, when you're, when you're making $40,000 a year and you're, you're, you're kind of struggling to get by and you're like, man, if I could just make 50, if I could just make 50, and all of a sudden, you know, 10 years later, you might be making 50, right? But it's not enough. And then you make 60 and then you make 70 and now you're making close to $90,000 a year and you're still thinking, if I just had a little bit more room, a little bit more cushion, why? Because success changes. Can we all just agree on these three things? This is the reason that emotional money management doesn't work. It doesn't work because there's too many things that will consistently change that cause us to be emotional about money, about how we view and handle money. I love this quote. This is from uh, Andy Stanley, one of his books called How to Be Rich. Everyone, that's all of us, Everyone is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern, which makes it their ultimate, right? Now, everybody is at risk, meaning that we all are going to be constantly tempted, especially if we're letting emotions sort of manage the, the money side, to make it an ultimate pursuit, meaning that it's got the priority above all things, or... You're going to spend your life making it your ultimate worry, your almost ultimate concern, the thing you don't have. And it doesn't really matter which side of the, the, the spectrum you're on, you're going to be your, it's going to be your ultimate. And that's a problem, especially in terms of how God views things. So God knew that this was going to be an issue in terms of emotional uh, money management and how we, we, we view it and how we spend it. So here's a great story. This is an engagement that Jesus has. I'm not going to give you some of the normal scriptures in terms of, of uh, some of Jesus' parables because you've probably heard them before and you've heard them from me. Uh, this is one of those that I think is a good, good fresh perspective of just helping us, again, reframe the big picture and understanding of stewardship and how we can begin to move to a place where we are prepared, intentional stewards of our finances. Here's the engagement that Jesus had. This is going to be in Luke chapter 12. Someone called from the crowd. This is in the middle of Jesus' teaching. It says, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus, make my brother do something he's not doing. You need to tell him to do this. Because they had some Jewish rules and customs that would have required this. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over over you to decide such things as that. Like Jesus is like, why would you enter me into this? But Jesus sees something in the man's question or in the man's request. And he replies, he says, listen, I want you to beware. 
Okay, that means guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Okay, life is not measured by how much you own. But notice the words there. Jesus is telling him, hey, listen. I mean, he hears the question. He hears the request. But he, he, he goes right to the heart of the matter and he says, hey, listen, you need to guard your heart. He gives him a warning. Beware. Okay, beware of where your mind is. Beware of how you're thinking. Beware of how your perspective about this is. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, for most of us, we can mentally agree with that statement, but that is not the culture that we live in. Okay, that's not the culture we live in. Because if, if you're not in pursuit of more you are almost always in comparison with others about what they have and you don't, okay? And it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. It doesn't matter what social economic group you're in. You're either in pursuit of more because that's, that's your view, that's your drive, or you are in constant comparison about what others have that you don't have. And even though we will mentally agree with that, yes, life is not measured by how much we own and the stuff we have and the resources we have and the money to buy those things. And yet, we live in a world, we live in a Western culture, a very prosperous country. And it is. Everything around us is driven by what we have versus what we don't have. What we're trying to get versus what we don't seem to be able to get. So he goes into a story. This is the story he tells. This is a parable. One of the parables, that 40% we were talking about. He tells them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. This is a rich man. Doesn't say it's a man who, who just stumbled upon a great, great deal of crops. He was a rich man. He was already doing very well. But he had this, produced this incredible fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough room for my crops. Everybody with me? I don't know if you've ever had this problem, right? I don't even know if we can relate. Like, my wallet's too small for my 50s. Oh, no. You know? Is everybody with me? I don't know if we have this problem anymore, but I want you to to get where Jesus is coming from. What am I going to do? It's all going to be wasted. I don't have enough room to accumulate what, what I've been blessed with. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns. And I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And then I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Just pause, just pause here for a minute, Dale. Like, is this not the, the American dream? Like, seriously. Is this not sort of the target on the wall for every person in the Western Hemisphere? To be able to accumulate enough, to secure their future enough, to where they, they will be able to just relax at some point. So they won't be able to, you know, maybe retirement in the way that our culture defines retirement. 
That, that one day it won't be as hard. That one day we can do this. Maybe we can get there early if, it's, if we're successful enough. And, and we can do this and we can kind of, this is the idea is to gather and store and gather and store properties, cars, equipment, money, liquidable assets. That one day we'll be able to say to ourselves, self, it's time to take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But Jesus says that God said to him, you fool. Remember the the theme verse? He doesn't want us to be fools. He doesn't want us to act thoughtlessly. And Jesus is giving this example. And God speaks to the man in the story and says, you fool, you're going to die this very night. And then who will get everything you worked for? Like, yeah, you had an incredible crop. That's fantastic. But you weren't guaranteed tomorrow. You're not in control of that. And he says, that's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and not rich towards God. This is the statement. There's always a statement at the end of every parable where Jesus is in the story and then he pulls out of the story to give you the bottom line. This is how it is. This is how it is. With anyone who stores up treasure for themselves and is not rich towards God. Here's the bottom line, I'll give it to you, and this is, this is again, tying, just kind of finishing up this emotional, you know, struggle we have with money. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. And this is going to apply to every single person across the globe. This is why prosperity gospels and things don't work outside of Western teaching or Western promises to third world countries that want what Westerners have. We have to view this from, a, from an age old, from the history of mankind to the future of whatever it may look like, chips in our hand or Bitcoin or whatever it is, it's not going to matter what you have as much as what you do with what you have. It's going to be that. It's been that way since the dawn of, of man. It's going to continue to be that way. And so we have to shake out of this perspective that our culture gives us about money, about managing our resources. Because what we have is, just matters so less, guys. It matters so much less than what you're doing with it. What are you doing with it? What have you made some decisions about? How how have you pre-decided how you're going to intentionally steward what it is that God's given you? The fundamental problem is that when we view ourselves as the source of anything, we will not be generous. We will be fearful. We will fight for control. And we will be selfish. But when we begin to understand stewardship, that from him and through him and for him are all things. When we begin to understand that, we will begin to understand what he's called us to do, how he's called us to live, how he's called us to make some decisions about our money and about our resources and what we do in terms of how we are rich towards God in our life. Here's a great example. This is King David. 
you know, David and Goliath, David the, the shepherd boy. Well, he's also King David in our scriptures, right? This is King David who really had this beautiful dream to build a temple for God, even though God would not let him actually build it. He was going to let Solomon build it. But he spent his life, the end part of his life, gathering the resources from the kingdom to help build it. And here's, here's David's words. This is in Chronicles. Just read that word out loud. Yeah, just to keep in mind, this is going back to the same thing you saw in Paul. <laughs> Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. And we adore you as the one who is over all things. Riches and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hands, and it is your discretion that people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. This is a very, this is, David's got a heart of gratitude. Man after God's own heart is what it, it's how we remember him. Who am I? And who are my people that we could even give you anything? Even, even he's beginning to kind of share, it's not even ours to give. You still gave it to us. Everything we have came from you. And we give you only what you have already given us. We are here for a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land of our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O oh Lord, our God, even these materials we've gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name, they come from you. It all, read those three words out loud, belongs to you. Okay, do you get a theme here for the, the place in David's life and how he viewed his resources, his liquidable resources? Didn't matter if it was you know, livestock or timber or gold or silver. Hey, everything we have, God, is from you, and it's from you, and it's through you that you do all things, and it's, and it's for you. There's, there's no other way to do this. There's no other way to, to view this except for how we, we have kind of shifted into viewing things. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this period. I'm going to give you some practical stuff in just a minute. But I want to end this moment with a very, very stern warning for you to just be honest. Be honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with me. You don't have to tell me anything. But I want you to be honest with yourself because the way David is talking and the way Paul writes and the way the, the scripture, the word of God gives us this call of how to pre-decide and make some decisions about how we see and view and are stewarding our finances. We're in this weird place as a culture, especially Christians in our culture. Okay? And I'm going to give you this warning just, just for you to go ahead and be honest. I want you to stop asking God to bless you or help you financially when you refuse to recognize his provision. Stop it. Stop it. Like, I don't know what else to tell you other than you have fallen for a lie. You have fallen for a lie in a Christian subculture in which we can come together and sing songs about how God is able and he hasn't failed us and he's going to do it again 
and we've seen him move mountains, and yet you have never recognized God as the provision of all things in your life. And you certainly haven't put any actions and decisions in your life because of that, to be rich towards God and towards his mission and towards his vision and to what he's called you to do. You haven't. But you continue to think that you can ask God to bless the work of your hands. Okay? You find a bunch of scripture verses. You have not because you ask not. Well, I'm asking God. I'm asking. And you want him to fix it and you want him to help you and you want him to bless this and you want him to make it successful and you want him to help you get the job raised and you want to help him get the promotion. Or you need him to help you get out of a jam Fix the problem you've run yourself into. Bail you out. Start acting like the government just print money out of thin air. Right? Stop asking God to do those things when you refuse to recognize him as the provision of your life. Just stop it. Just be honest. Just be, I'm just telling you, it doesn't do any good to be stuck in this weird middle that I believe dishonors God. Hey, either you're just like, look, I, I don't believe it. I don't trust it. I mean, I'm new to journey. I don't know what they're talking about. I, I've, never, I've never viewed it this way. Just be honest with God about it. He will meet you where you are. Okay? He will meet you there and help you take steps. But be honest. Stop asking him to bless it and stop asking him to fix it and help you and bail you out when you don't do what he's called you to do, when you don't recognize him as the provider of all things. Now, if you do want to recognize him. You want to take these steps in stewardship, then there are steps to take. There are things like I talked about last week. There are just ways in which he, you know, we can't just automatically assume God's going to fix everything. I did make up that word. (laughs) He's just going to do it without our engagement, without our participation. That's part of what we do. Our participation is there and involved in stewardship. Here's a great proverb. I read it this morning. This was part of our 21 days of prayer. Give freely and become wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Right? The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. There are some principles in Scripture. This is just one of them that gives us wisdom around how we view and do things with our funds, with our resources. Okay? There are principles these are, not, these are not promises like, do this and this will happen. This is like, these are principles in our world that, that fulfill the promises of God, you know, in, in terms of big picture, that fulfill the promises of God because that's what he called us to all engage in and do and be a part of. So what do we do? How do we, how do, we do this? Let me just give you a few quick steps. If we don't want it to be about, about our emotion... We want to be prepared. We want to, we want to pre-decide some things. Here's how Paul wrote it to the church in Corinth. Remember this, church. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. Be the one who plants generously. Oh, sorry, but the one. Yeah, the who plants generously will get a big crop. You must each decide in your hearts. Okay, again, this is a decision you have to make. How much to give. Don't give reluctantly. Or in response to pressure. Again, I can't make you do anything. It's not about that. Don't give reluctantly. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. 
God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Okay, this, is the, this is the picture we believe about blessing. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and the bread to eat. Remember, it's from him, the seed's from him, it's through him, and it's for him. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Enriched in every way is that, is that part where Paul's saying kind of, it affects every area of your life. And this is what we were talking about last week too. You always have something to give that God will use. You always do. So here's three things I believe we can do. The first one is we detest God's promise. Test God's promise. This is the only thing he ever told us to test him on. This actually comes from the Old Testament in Malachi, or Malachi, whatever you want to say, right? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, again, participation, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out my blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in Try it, put me to the test. This is the only place in Scripture and the only thing that God very specifically challenges us to challenge him, challenges us to test him. We've done it as a church, and I'm not doing it today, but I mean, it's kind of a standing thing now. You know, when people begin to take their first step towards giving, and I say, listen, sometimes I'll just say it. If you begin to tithe, okay, tithe is a tenth. If you begin to put your first fruits aside, and you do what God has instructed, you begin to tithe 10%, and you do that for 90 days, if God has not shown up, and God hasn't done something in your life where you see his presence in in the areas of your life that you need him, if you don't see that, we will write you a check back that is not going to break the church. We'll just do it. We haven't had anybody do it yet, but I, I again, this is why would I not say that as a pastor of a church? If God is that confident to say, test me, why in the world would I not say, test him? Test him. Do what he's called you to do and test him. I, we will write you a check back. If, if, if he's wrong, if you do it and you're dissatisfied, fine. We'll fall in line. We'll give it back to you. It's like a 90-day money back thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds all salesy. And yet... I, I, this, is, this is the word of God. He says, I want, I want you to try it. I want you to put me to the test. So that's step one. Two, follow God's plan. Follow his plan. I usually have a lot of things I can say here. I'm only going to say just a few things because I don't want to make it confusing. But today's about perspective in our stewardship. But there is a plan. Okay, the tenth, the first fruit, the tithe, that's part of, that's part of this plan. Here's just a couple verses. Paul to the church in Corinth on the first day of the week, you need to put aside this portion, this thing that you've set apart for him and the money you've earned. He goes on to say, don't wait. You know, don't wait till like I get there because they were collecting for the church in Jerusalem. He's like, don't wait till I get there and scrounge and hurry. 
Make it a rhythm, a part of your life. Make it, make it something you're putting aside all the time. Well, what do you put aside? This is back in the Old Testament in terms of the original uh, ideas of tithing. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring in a gift in proportion to the way the Lord the God has blessed you. So it's always in proportion. It's always a percentage. It's always a first fruit. Okay? So the first fruits of this would look different than the first fruits of that. The best way to kind of show that is just with money. It doesn't matter whether it's $10 or $100 or $1,000 or $100,000. Most of us just function this way. We're, you know, we're looking at the money that we have, and we, we just try to figure out how we can live on what we have. Some people get a little bit more fiscally responsible, especially when they get older, and they start to save some money and try to figure out how they can live because they know that they're going to get to a point where they can't work as much and they need some money put aside so they can live then. Then you get really older and you start saving even more, trying to rush to do it. And then when you hear a pastor talk about giving and you start feeling the guilt, well, maybe you won't save as much, right? And you got to live. And then maybe, just maybe, if I could cut this into, you know, sixteenths, well, then maybe you give something. Occasionally. And consistently. And yet, he called, he gave us a plan. Again, we, we have a, an amazing class called Financial Peace University. It's starting in a couple weeks. You can get more information on it on our website, and we'll, we'll tell you more about it over the next couple weeks. But Financial Peace tells you how God's given you a plan about money. You know, that there's a plan to give your first fruits, and there's wisdom in saving, and then you have the ability to live on the rest. And depending on how much of a financial hole you're in, maybe there's some things that have to go towards that. And for a period of time, you live there. And I'm telling you, this is, this is how I've lived my whole life. Because I had parents that taught this to me. You know, I give, I save, and I live. And I've had times in my life where I've made incredible money. And I gave, and I, well, I didn't save as much then. I'm a little older now. I was living pretty well. I've had times where I, I didn't, I went from one job making this and then to another job making less. So what did I do? Well, the principles are still the same. I still gave in proportion to how he's blessed me. And we still saved in proportion to what we could. And then we were able to live. And then I've had times where I've lost jobs and things have been very tight. And I still Gave. You guys with me? I didn't save anything then. We just lived very tight. We ate peanut butter and jelly and things like that, right? There's a principle. There's a plan. Beginning of the week on Sunday, my wife and I have always given. That's part of the worship that we do for God. It's part of our, our habit. I know everything's a little different now with the you know, giving online and things like that. It's a little bit different, but there's still part of us that, that engages in worship. That's part of what we do. Because there's a plan at the beginning of the week to put that portion aside. And as he's continued to bless us, that amount has continued to grow. That percentage has continued to grow. The amount continues to grow because we believe everything he gives us has a purpose, has a reason for us to be good stewards of you know, we're, we're, not, we're not tipping God. We're not tipping God. And I, I don't want to offend anybody, but just, just, just understand this. This is, we all live in Lake Norman, and I understand that we all kind of have a little bit of a different, you know, uh, you know, financial perspective. But listen, 
Even when you start, and I tell people to start anywhere. I tell them to start even with a small amount. But listen, in order to get your ducks in a row, in order for things to really start to change, okay, you can't tip God. Tipping God is giving him less than your cell bill. Y'all with me? Or your internet bill. Y'all with me? Like, that's tipping God. And I personally view that as insulting to God. Now, I'm not God. But everything that I read, I go, how in the world? Would you believe that that's okay to tip him like you would tip a waiter and then pray for him to bless you and to help you? Don't do that. Just be honest. Test him first. Trust, right? Test him first. Follow his plan. He has a plan of how you handle and view and do your finances. And then trust the design. Okay, that's the third piece. Trust the bigger picture, the design that God has for how he's going to do this. I'm going to finish this very quickly. One of the designs is that it goes through the church. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. This was the writer of Hebrews talking about how the function works within the church. And some people get hung up on that. They get hung up on, well, I don't want to give it to a church. It's all about them buying another jet or something weird like that, you know. I don't want to give it to an institution of flawed people. I get it. But that's the, that's the system that God created. Find a church that you trust. Do what you got to do. Take the steps you need to take. Okay? We as a church have worked very hard to have our ducks in a row. We've taken a lot of steps to do that. And, and, and that's part of what we do as a church in order to help you understand that, that you may give the funds to us, but it's him that receives it. That's the system. That's what he designed. And it's always for the purpose to point everyone to absolute hope. It's always for that purpose. Matter of fact, here's how Paul again says it. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Don't have that perspective, which is unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. He gives us everything that we enjoy. Tell them to use their money for good, that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for their future so that they may experience true life. This is that thing we talked about in all those areas of life where you'll begin to experience true life, the fullness of life when you do these these three things. Go to that next slide. These three things. I don't know what step you are in this process in your life, but you you need to start with one and get to three. And begin to move down that path to begin to see those ducks in a row. And make the decision today, right? Decide today your financial stewardship for this year. Decide it today. Make the decision. That's what being a prepared, intentional steward is all about. Make the decision now what you're going to do this year. How it's going to work. How you want it to function. You, you want to be honest about it? God, I don't want you a part of my financial life. I don't want to do the things you called me to do. It's fine. Just be honest with them about it. You say, no, God, I, I want to I begin to see and understand how it's from you and it's through you and it's for you. Then put them to the test. You know, follow the plan. Take the financial peace class so you can understand better about it if you really don't know. If not, we can help you in lots of ways. Give you resources. And then trust. Trust the design. God's doing incredible things. 
through the faithfulness of God's people who understand what they're doing. Now, we want to close a little differently today just to give you an opportunity to take a step. Okay, take a step. We haven't done this in, in several years, but I, wanna, I want you to take a challenge with me. Okay? I want you to take a challenge with me. I want you to, to test him. All right? Now, at a, we're going to call this beginner level. When you leave today, you're going to take an envelope with you. Okay? It's got cash in it. When you take this envelope, I want you to take it with you. Every adult can do it. If you have kids that you feel responsible enough to, to, to be stewards, you can do that too. But everyone takes a, an envelope. And I want you to pray over it, and I want you to open it up, and I want you to take whatever's in here, and I want you to find ways to be rich in good works for God. This is not, this is not money to go to lunch with today. Everybody with me? Right? Oh, God have mercy on you if that's lunch money today. Yeah, this, is, this is God's money. You may, have, you may struggle with seeing your money as God's money. Oh, but this is God's money. This was already given out of tithes and offerings. And as a church, we've had our ducks in a row to be able to get to this point where we can give you, I think it's $2,600 is going out the door today. $2,600 is going out the door today in your hands for you to pray over, for you to, to pray through, and to find a way to use it to be rich in good works, to help those in need. If you don't want to take the challenge, I want you to take an envelope no matter what. Take the envelope, tear it open, put the money back in the offering box. It's fine. But I'm really praying that if you'll do this with this money, that you might just begin to see a little bit of difference in your money. Now, advanced level challenge for those of you who already tithe and are already faithful and are already there, here's the advanced level challenge today. I want you to take this, and before you open it, I want you to commit to match it with your money. Match it with your dollars. If it's a 20, a 50, doesn't matter. God already knows what you picked up. Commit to match it, and see if God doesn't create an incredible, incredible opportunity for you. Sophie, come here. Sophie, come get this. This is your envelope. You need to pray about it. I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. I love Sophie. She's awesome. Everybody grab an envelope on the way out. Take this test. Take this challenge. Can't wait to hear some of the stories that come back about what God's doing in and through you as you begin to be, as you begin to be prepared, intentional stewards for God. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we just want to trust you at your word. You've given us a plan. You've told us to test you. You've, you've got a design for how it, how it plays into the mission of what you want to do in people's lives. So, God, I'm just praying right now over the envelopes today as people take them and leave that you're going to do an incredible work in people's lives that have no idea they're going to be the recipients of the generosity of this church, but also in the lives of every single person here that they begin to see and view your money differently. And ultimately, God, that everything is from you, sustained through you, and for you. In Jesus' name.